Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Laurie Dunsire, Practice Manager of Your GP. Your GP is a private GP service and occupational health care provider in Edinburgh. Laurie, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I, I suppose it means it means a lot of things. Um, for me, it's someone who can uh, instill a lot of things in whoever they are in charge of, be that a team in a workplace or many people in, in whatever realm it is. So I, I guess it's um, leading by example. Um, in my sense, in, in a workplace, a small business, I guess it's creating a positive working atmosphere, ensuring you have a, a happy workforce, uh, getting the most out of employees. And I guess that, for me, works uh, in terms of getting productivity, but also in things like staff retention, which is obviously a huge part of, of my role in a small business. So um, many people treat it in different manners, but for me, I guess, it's, you know, lead, leading by example and I guess, giving people the tools to do what they need to do, but at the same time, I guess, getting the most out of them and growing and developing people at the same time. So you would describe your personal leadership style as leading by example? I would like to think so. Um, I think my approach to management and, and leadership has developed over time and has been shaped by, I guess, both the good and bad leaders and managers that I've experienced. And I probably actually say more so on the bad ones have have impacted it. Um, mm. By by that I mean I've experienced leadership that is consisted of managing through fear or instilling a a real hierarchy, and I've also experienced those who maybe don't respect those that they are leading. And obviously, in my sense, it's a workforce, it's staff, and so not respecting maybe those on the ground floor or those in the trenches that are you know doing the, the dirty work, some might call it, serving customers, answering phones, paperwork, you know, mm-hmm. still, you know the, the usual, the, the, those who I guess will be on the, the lower end of the, the kind of pay scale. But um, I guess by not respecting them, by not getting to know their role and their contribution, I think some of these leaders have maybe in turn created, again, I'm going to always use the example of employment, but a workforce that maybe didn't respect management and were mm-hmm. reluctant to to give more than the absolute minimum to the job and you then increase staff turnover and in the end I think things like your customer service levels then drop considerably because you, you, you have that issue with staff because it's, everyone's new people are unhappy and I guess you can relate that to other things whether it's you know, politics or sport or whatever it might be but um, I, I do like to then be seen as a person who will give people the the tools, so I'll, I'll organize the team, I'll set out the rules and the processes that they need to follow, but also be an active part of that team and get to know them, um, look to get the most out of them by giving them opportunities to grow and develop. And yeah, getting my hands dirty if I need to, um, I, I guess would be the best way to put it when you talk about leading by example. So a fair framework uh, that is engendered with respect is your ideal way to work. Would that be correct? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, 
obviously you sometimes have to take a stern approach in whatever you're doing if you're a leader or a manager but, but on the whole I don't want my team to respect me because they're scared of me or, or scared of losing their job but I want them to respect me because I provide them with the tools to do their job but also provide them with a platform to grow and that can be as an employee and as a person because I mean let's be honest we spend the majority of our waking hours at work and <laughs> you really want to be as happy as you possibly can be doing that because um, mm. it can affect your your life overall if, if you really don't enjoy your work and we're not expecting it's going to be fun and games all the time but I think you get more out of people and you get more out of them in a productivity sense if they do enjoy it as much as they possibly can. Now we discussed earlier who you uh, choose not to emulate but was there a particular figure uh, in your early career or in your uh, raising uh, that helped mold you into the leader that you are today? Um, I, I would suppose if you go all the way back to when I was younger in terms of um, my parents and and then even school, because I think a lot of how a person turns out is when they are that age, when they're still developing and growing and through through childhood and then through whatever learning institution they're in. So I think the fact my parents were, were quite open and allowed me to, to, I guess, develop and grow. And we had, a again, it wasn't that kind of stern parenting. It was more that we were on a level where we had conversations about things and we had debates about things. And maybe I was allowed to get in a little bit of trouble when I was younger and I knew the consequences. But um, at school as well, I think the teachers do engaged with me more there's a few of them that pop into my mind that didn't just rule as well here you go here's your work do it and be quiet but you could have a conversation with and you might not always agree on things I think that Mm -hmm. even at an early age and still though you get that kind of lot of respect and if even as a child if an adult treats you with respect again I think you give a bit more back Um, you learn a bit more from them you're not just in this situation that here's the here's the person in charge and you need to be scared of them and do your work purely because you'll get in trouble if you don't. You, mm. you want to do it because they're inspiring and they're they're giving you something. They're helping you grow and learn. And I, I think, you know, different eras, from what I hear from people who have children now, that it, it is a slightly different dyna- dynamic in things like classrooms now than even maybe when I was there, um, you know, 15 years ago. But I guess there's always room for for people improving on that side. So I I would say just that, you know, being treated with respect even when you're a child and you're learning because that's where you do a lot of your developing and sometimes by the time you get into a workplace when you're maybe 17 or 18, um, there might be traits instilled in you that are very difficult to to get rid of if you've picked up bad habits or you've already got a lack of respect for leadership. So, yeah, maybe even go back to as early on as with my parents and then with the, the teachers who... I guess, treated you with respect and you got a lot more from them at the time. Now, if you were to speak to one of those 17 or 18-year-olds who are just entering work, what would your advice for success be? It's interesting you say that because just today um, we've been interviewing uh, potential apprentices, which uh, quite interesting that they do that now. So you do like modern apprenticeships, uh, which we'd not explored before. It's only until recently we've decided to explore it. So not your traditional, I guess, trades, but people doing an apprentice um, apprenticeship in business and admin. So you know, your reception, your administration work. Um, really impressed with some of the people as well, because you know, you're coming in with people who are 17 or so in school. And I think um, 
my attitude is I don't necessarily want someone who's had 15 years of experience in the field that we're in, whether it's reception or admin or working in a medical practice. I want someone who has the skills to develop and wants to develop. And that's what we got from a few people. They, they had the attitude. They came in very smartly dressed, approachable. And just having that willingness to learn, they had the right attitude. They researched the company, which, believe it or not, we don't even get from a lot of people coming for senior roles. But <laughs> these, which I know it seems baffling these days because it's such, a, it's such an easy thing to do, isn't it? Indeed. Just look at the website pick up a few buzzwords and a couple of services. But I guess the attitude is a big thing for me. I don't really care that some of these have not had a proper full-time job before, but they came in and said, I want to learn, develop and grow in a company. So for me, I think it's looking long-term, especially when you go to see an employer. Um, if you say that, look, I don't have these skills or this experience, but I want to develop it and develop it with you. So I want to grow the company and stay with you for longer. I'd rather spend six months training and developing someone who might then be with me for six years mm-hmm. than say someone who can walk in the door might only need a month of training but going by their CV I'm pretty sure they will, we're only going to be here for a year because they like to job hop for a little pay rise here or there or they just get bored so I think that's you know even if you are only looking maybe five years ahead think right is this the grounding I want in this job this could be the company for me and just I guess express that so, you know I'm willing to low it. I'm willing to grow and learn, and I want to do it there and benefit the company. Because I think for me in a small business, staff turnover is a big thing that we've we've managed to keep at a very low level. And I want staff who are going to be here for a few years, even if it means that they gradually go up the pay scale, because you get a lot more from them and their knowledge grows and they become a more and more important part of the team. Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for your GP? <laughs> hopefully, hopefully an exciting 12 months. Um, obviously, there's some slight uncertainty in the country right now about what could be happening to the economy and beyond. Um, but we're looking to expand if possible. Um, private healthcare sometimes gets a bad rep, but we are just a small business looking to provide um, a range of health and, and GP services to people of Edinburgh and beyond. So I'm hoping it's like a, a year that we can grow. And like I said, I'm, I'm hoping to maybe take on some staff that we can grow in turn with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic, Matthew, but you know what it's like? Um, you never want to look too far ahead, especially in the UK at the moment. Well, Laurie, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and you have to come back on the show in the near future to tell us how things are going. Uh, Laurie, thank you. I, I would... I'd be delighted to. Thank you very much, Matthew. That was Laurie Dunsire, practice manager of Your GP. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. 
So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to 
to be involved with my career in those early days were two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that 
someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, 
when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we... You've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh if that put, day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps... Uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, 
and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, 
you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.